Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 2 Samuel. The book of 2 Samuel and chapter number 6. The book of 2 Samuel and chapter number 6. We are continuing with the life and ministry of David and watching as David has become king. We have seen him overcome and now he has taken over the city of Jerusalem and made that the new capital and made it his city. And now he is establishing other things within the kingdom. Now that Jerusalem is built, he is wanting to bring the Ark of the Covenant and establishing it within the city of Jerusalem. And we find that things don't necessarily go the way that he expects them to go. And so we pick up this story in this biblical account of history in the book of 2 Samuel in chapter number 6. The book of 2 Samuel in chapter number 6. And if you don't mind, notice with me in 2 Samuel chapter 6, starting at verse number 1. 2 Samuel chapter 6, and in verse number 1, the Bible says this. Again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal to of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelt between the cherubims and they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab which was in Gibeah and Uzzah and Iowa the son of Abinadab drave the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. And Io went before the ark. And <coughs> David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord in all manners of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps and on psalteries, on timbrels and on cornets and on cymbals. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzziah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took a hold of it for the oxen shook it and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzziah and God smote him there for his error and there he died by the ark of God and David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzziah and he called the name of the place Preza Uzzah to this day and David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but David carried it aside to the house of Obed-Odom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Odom the Gittite three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Odom all and all of his household. And it was told King David, saying, The Lord had blessed the house of Obed-Odium on that pertaineth unto him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of <coughs> Obed-Odium into the city of 
David with gladness. And it was so that when they had bare the ark of the Lord and gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. And David danced before the Lord with all of his might. And David girded himself with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought forth the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. And the ark of the Lord came to the city of David. Michal, Saul's daughter, looking through a window, saw the king David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in his heart. And they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in his place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And as soon as David had made an end of offering burnt offerings and peace offering, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of host. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, we could see where they are heading to in the book of 2 Samuel chapter number 6. 2 Samuel and chapter number 6. And notice if you don't mind in verse number 16 where at the very beginning of the phrase and the ark of the Lord came into the city of David. <laughs> so the ark of the Lord came into the city of David. And with the Lord's help, we're going to explore this, print, uh, this incident here of the ark of the covenant brought to Jerusalem. So the ark of the covenant brought to Jerusalem. In addition, we're going to cover this principle here that doing God's work, God's way. Doing God's work, God's way. So using this incident of the Ark of the Covenant being brought to Jerusalem, and we're going to see the overall principle, doing God's work, God's way. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you, I'm just asking that you would do something beyond my ability, and that is to teach the principle that we want to learn here of doing your work your way, and that we'd be clear and that you would give us great discernment and understanding from this principle and that what you're trying to get across. Again, I'm asking that you would fill me with your precious spirit, that you would do your own work and that you would magnify your own name. Show us your glory. Show us your honor. Show us your righteousness. Show us who you are and that because of that, we would have a desire to do things the way that you told us to get them done. Help us again with this principle. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And 1 Samuel chapter number 6 is a very big deal. The idea that they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant back into the city of Jerusalem. And of course, there's some mishaps. There's a guy who was killed because he touched the Ark of God. Which this is often a passage that troubles people. Scratches their on the head and say, Why in the world would God kill someone for, do, for trying to help God's Ark? What should have been done? What would happen? Well, we want to clarify exactly what happened and why did this man die with the idea here of the principle of doing God's work God's way. Now, with some background to lead us into it, to notice how important it is, we understand that God had instituted the tabernacle back in the days of Moses. And the tabernacle was the temporary dwelling place of God. And it was set up in a certain way. So the very first piece of furniture you would come to in the tabernacle would be the brazen altar. And it was in the brazen altar where because of our sins, something had to die. And this is where they did the, the sacrifices of the animals. And it was to be a 
a picture for, before the people that our sin requires death, for the wages of sin is death. The next piece of furniture that you would come to and go into the tabernacle would be well, the priest would run into the brazen laver. And after they would work on the um, animals and do the sacrifices, they may be washed clean of their sins, but they had to do a daily washing. That's why 1 John 1, 9 is in the Bible, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That even though you may be forgiven of your sins, you still need a shower every now and again. You need a bath. You need to cleanse yourself. Now, beyond that, you would go into the actual tabernacle. Inside of the tabernacle, it was divided into two places. The first segment was called the holies. And inside of there, you had three pieces of furniture. On one side, you had the golden temp candlestick, which was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am the light of the world. On the other side here, you have the table of showbread. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. On the back side, you had the, the altar of incense, which represented the prayers going up. Uh, Jesus is making intercession before us. After that, you had a big, thick veil. The veil was a hand's breadth thick. That means it was so thick wide that it was as thick as your hand. And it was the veil. And it was a picture to show that there was a separation between us and God. Only one person can go beyond the veil, and that was once a year, and that he also had to bring blood. But he would go beyond the veil, and inside of the, that veil was another segment called the Holy of Holies. And inside of the Holy of Holies sat what was called the Ark of the Covenant, which was to represent the presence of God among the people. Now, with that background in mind, the Ark of the Covenant has not been in the house of David. In fact, the tabernacle has not really been functioning the way that it should within the last couple years, many years now. And so David has a desire because he wants to honor God to bring the Ark of the Covenant into the city of Jerusalem and establish a house for God where people could come and worship him, where God's presence will dwell in. And so now that he has been thinking about this, I want to bring the Ark of the Covenant and it is time to bring it into this place where now instead of being a temporary dwelling place, we could build a permanent dwelling place for the Ark of the Covenant and the presence of God. Now, to understand what has gone on, the first thing I'd like to show you in the idea of history is man's work done, man's way. So the first thing I'd like to show you as we do this principle is man's work done, man's way. And for this, we go all the way back to 1 Samuel chapter 4. Now, because I'm covering 1 Samuel chapter 4 to chapter 8, that's four chapters, we're not going to turn there for the space of time, but if you would allow me the opportunity just to tell you the story. In 1 Samuel chapter number 4, all the way up to chapter 8, what has occurred is that the people have been threatened by the Philistines once again. And so the people said, we've got to find some way to defeat the Philistines. I know there's the Ark of the Covenant. And so if we use the Ark of the Covenant like a good luck charm, it would force God to do the work. If we just had the Ark of the Covenant and we would have all the power we need to get the job done. And what they were doing is that, remember, the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. They had something else in mind. They were using it as a weapon. 
If we could bring it and show to the Philistines. And we could have this great artifact of times past. And if we could do something with it. It will wipe out all the Philistines. All we need is this piece of furniture. Let me remind you that God is not in furniture. And that God is not our servant. And he's not our slave. And we can't make God do anything. What we see is that man is doing his own work. Man's own way. None of this was even close to what God said how things were supposed to be done. That there was no praying. There was no Bible reading. There was no serving God in any way. It was bringing God's furniture out as a good luck charm. And for some reason we could go ahead and use this magic weapon to defeat all of our enemies. We'll show them how it's done. We see man's work being done man's way. So what happened is they brought it out to the battlefield. Instead of being where God told it to be at, they brought it out to the battlefield. And now they're using it as a good luck charm. Oh, yes, we're going to win the game now because we have this magic weapon. We have this good luck charm. We have it. We're going to beat them all. And so they start cheering and they start getting excited. The Philistines over in the camp over saying, hey, why are they so excited? What's going on with them? And they said, hey. We spied them out and they got the Ark of the Covenant. Oh no, not the Ark of the Covenant. And so now the Philistines are scared. Well, the Philistines, when they get scared, they don't necessarily run. They said, we're not going to allow this thing to scare us. We're going to take it. And so they rallied up and they defeated the Israelites and stole the Ark of the Covenant and took it with them. So much for that good luck charm. Did bringing the Ark of the Covenant, did it force God to fight for them? No, because that's now how it was. They may have done some religious things, meaning I have a religious artifact, but it is man's work being done man's way. And what happened? They lost everything. The Ark of the Covenant is gone, which represented the presence of God. This is why you'll find in that statement that it's written Ichabod. What is that? That God has departed. God's gone. Because they did man's work, man's way. God's not involved with that and it's gone. Now the enemy has the Ark of the Covenant. What are we going to do? We don't have the presence of God now. And they are all depressed. Eli dies. He hears news that his sons are killed. He falls and breaks his neck. The Ark of the Covenant is gone. It is horrible. It's a depressing time. But let me also remind you that God can take care of his own stuff. So the Philistines bring it back to their city and they put it in their storehouse and say, ha ha, we got the Ark of the God. We showed them their God is nothing to us. Well, you never challenge the God of the Bible. So they bring it in there. The next morning they come in and they see their big statue of Dagon, their God, has fallen over. Somewhere in the middle of the night, someone pushed over the statue. Well, they said, well, the door's locked. Who did that? Well, it must have been a mistake. So they put him back up. The next morning they go and check, and guess what? Dagon's head and his hands are cut off. Who did that? Well, God could take care of his own stuff. God's not going to stand in the closet with another God. He's going to defeat them, <laughs> destroy them. Then what happened is that everyone in the Philistine city started to get physically sick. And started to have physical health needs. You could go back and listen to that message when I explain it a little bit more. But let me just tell you, it's very, very uncomfortable sitting and moving and everything else for the Philistines. So they said, well, you know, 
We're going to let our, our friends, you know, we've had the Ark of the Covenant long enough. I think you guys should have the honor of having the Ark of the Covenant. So they moved it from one Philistine city to another Philistine city. And guess what happened? The same thing happened again. The Philistines are getting sick. Their God is defeated. Well, I know we need to let you enjoy having the Ark of the Covenant here. We'll put it, and they switched it city to city to city. It would stay there for a while. Everyone's getting sick. They figured out what is happening is that, that God is punishing them. By the way, God can take care of his own stuff. So the Philistines say, well, we, got, we can't burn it. We can't touch it. We're afraid of this thing, but we can't have it anymore. We got to give it back to the, to the Israelites. But... We can't just admit that, you know, hey, uh, you should take it back. So how are we going to do this? So they came up with an idea that we're going to take a brand new mothered cow, meaning a cow that just had calves, take her calves away. We're going to get put the brand new mother, put it on a brand new cart. We're going to put the Ark of the Covenant. And we're going to put all kinds of gold and we're going to allow it just to travel on. And if you know anything about a mother cow, she wants to be back with her calves. But you know what happened? This cart traveled all the way back to Israel. And they found it and said, hey, look at this. Now, there were some mishaps where some people said, hey, it's the Ark of the Covenant. No one's looking. I'm going to look inside. And God killed about 75 of them because they were doing man's work God's way. They were told not to touch it, but they did it anyways. And so the people said, all right, we've got to bring it to the next town. And so they park it at a place called Kirith-Jerim. And there the Ark of the Covenant sat year after year after year after year until David finally says, you know what? It's time to take it home. So it has been sitting aside for 80 plus years. Neglected. No one's touched it. Some people in this one family has been keeping it. Can you imagine what it would be like? Being the family has to keep the Ark of the Covenant. Don't touch it. Don't look inside of it. But you got to keep it and watch over it. For 80 years, this family was trusted with it. But we could see all of this mess has occurred because man was doing his own work man's way and hoping that God would get involved with doing man's plans. May I also remind you that God's not interested in making your plans work. In fact, oftentimes your plans will fail because it's your plans. God wants God's work to be done God's way. Which now brings us back to where we are in this text. After sitting for 80 plus years, David says, it's time to bring the Ark of the Covenant back. We need to have the presence of God back amongst his people so we can worship God the way that God wants to be worshipped. Well, that's a good goal. And so he wants to do God's work, but unfortunately, he's doing God's work man's way. So he's not doing it the way that God wants him to do. He's trying to do God's work. He's trying to please God. He's trying to honestly worship God, but he's not doing it the way that God told him to do it, which is the second thing I want to show you. Not only man doing man's work man's way, but we see... <coughs> God's work being done man's way. Turn with me as we're back in Second Samuel chapter number 6. Second Samuel and chapter number 6. And notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 1. Second Samuel chapter 6 and verse 1. Again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. That's a lot of people. 
this is a big parade. This is a lot of people. All right, guys, I'm letting you know we're going to bring the Ark of the Covenant home. Who's with me? Yeah, and they're all cheering. They're all glad. All right, let's go. And so 30,000 of them go to this small little town to go get the Ark of the Covenant. Verse number two. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from uh, Baal to, of Judah to bring them bring up from thence the ark of God whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherub, cherubims. So here it's talking about what a big deal. This is the ark that represents the presence of God. This is the one that represents God dwelling in his people. We need to bring this back. We need to have God's presence. This is a good thing. Do you think God wants this to happen? Absolutely. But notice what occurs now. And this is going to be key. Verse number three. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart. Now they're doing their best. Hey, this is the ark of God. Why not bring it in a cart? Put it in a cart. We'll be safe. It'll be protected. We're going to put this in a new cart. That sounds logical. Sounds like a good idea. So they put it in a new cart. And brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was in Gibeah, and Uzzah and Ahod, the sons of Abinadab drove, drave the new cart. So they said, not only we're going to put a new cart, so we had this cart made, and its only job is to, is to bring the Ark of the Covenant. That sounds like a good idea. A cart that's never been used. It's, it's a brand new cart. And then let's bring the kids of the people, Abinadab. This family has taken care of the Ark of God. Why not bring them? They know how to take care of it. God hasn't killed them yet. So let's bring it. It sounds logical, right? I mean, sounds reasonable, a brand new cart, because we don't want anything ever to be used and let God's thing be second place. That sounds logical. Let's bring in the people who's been taking care of the ark of God and have them transport it. So you got uh, Ao, who is driving the cart, and you got Uzzah, who's behind the cart, and he's trying to make sure that nothing happens, nothing falls out. He's falling behind. It's, it sounds great. It sounds logical. Notice as it goes on. In verse 4, and they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God, and Aho went before the ark. And David and the house of Israel played before the Lord all manners of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps and psalteries and timbrels and cornets and cymbals. Now this is a big deal. 3,000 people are out here. It's a big parade. And leading the parade is David. And then you have the cart and everyone following behind. And David's out and they have on the side of the road, music instruments playing, trumpets blaring, psalteries going, cornets going, and they're playing music, and David is leading people as they go through, and they're singing, praying. This sounds great. This is wonderful. The cart is bringing the thing. The people are traveling. Everyone's celebrating. But there is a problem that nobody is noticing. Notice, if you don't mind, as we go on in verse 6. And it came, and when they came to Nashon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took a hold of it, for the oxen shook it. Now, what happened in verse 6 is that as they're traveling, they hit a bump, or the oxen shake it. Something happens where the cart is violently shook. And it looks like the ark of God is going to fall out. And Uzzah takes his hand and he touches it to hold it so it doesn't fall out. 
Now, is that reasonable? If you or Uzzah falling behind it, when you try to catch it so it doesn't fall? I mean, this is a relic that's been around for hundreds of years already. This is something that represents the presence of God. You don't want it to fall in the mud. You want to protect it. You want to guard it. And the idea here that the oxen shook it, it carries the idea here that it was done on purpose by God. Meaning that God is the one that shook it. And so Uzzah touches it. What happens now? Verse 7. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And God smote him there for his error. And he died by the ark of God. So Uzzah sees the ark going. And it's falling. I got to touch it. And he dives and he pushes it. And he holds it. And when he touches it. God kills him right then and there. He is struck dead. He's there on the road. Uh, we don't know if it was lightning or if it was shock or if he's a crispy critter or just a heart attack or something. But he touched it and he was dead and he's laying there dead in the middle of the street. Wouldn't that kind of halt the parade? What happened? I mean, nothing sounds unreasonable. They put the ark in a brand new cart. That's never going to be used. They take the family that's been guarding it for 80 years. And they're taking it. They're singing songs. And they're doing all these things. What happened? Why in the world would God allow the cart to be shook? Why would God kill the guy when he's doing his best? That's a great question. What is the answer? It is because they were doing God's work man's way they were doing God's work man's way notice with me in verse 8 and David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzziah and he called the name of the place Uzzah to this day so David said oops something happened what went wrong you understand whose fault is it that Uzzah died it's David's How's it David's? I mean, they're doing everything. It's logical to do this. The problem is, is that logic is the problem. You see, in order to do God's work, we can't do it the way that we think it needs to be done. It has to be done the way that God wants it to be done. You see, people have the idea today that if I worship God, as long as I do my best, that God should accept it. But you know that God does not accept all worship. There is a lot of things done in the name of worship today in the area that God does not accept. Because all worship must be done God's way. And John chapter 4, God in fact says it this way. That, God, <laughs> that all those that worship God must worship God in spirit and in truth. Those that worship God must. That word must is important because that word must is used three times in two chapters. You understand that the chapter before in John chapter 3 is where Jesus told Nicodemus, Verily, verily, you must be born again. When he says you must be born again, what did he mean? He meant that the only way you're going to get to heaven, forgiven of your sins, is you must. You have to be born again. Without being born again, there's nothing going to happen. That's what the word must means. Well, in John chapter 4, when Jesus says, those that worship God must worship God 
two qualifications. In spirit and in truth. Let's take the spirit first. If we're going to worship God in spirit, what does that mean? It means that you have to be saved. We understand that when you come to know Jesus Christ as your personal savior, the Holy Spirit of God comes to dwell within your heart. What does that mean? In short form, let me tell you, only saved people can worship God. That means someone who does not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, someone who is not saved, someone who has not been forgiven of their sins, someone who has never come to the place where they personally realize they were a sinner and because of their sin they've offended a holy righteous God and deserve hell, but they realize that Jesus died for them and they personally accept that gift. A person who is not saved cannot worship God. It doesn't matter how much they want to, they cannot worship God. Those that worship God must worship Him in spirit. But here's the second thing, in truth. That means we must worship God the way that God said to worship Him. God does not accept all worship. May I give you an example? In the book of Genesis, in chapter number 4, we have the account of two brothers. And the two brothers were tasked to worship God. One of them was a keeper of the field. And he grew things and he was a great, grew crops and he loved it. The other one was a keeper of the sheep. And when it came time to worship, both of them had the desire to worship God. Both brothers wanted to do their best and they brought their best. The keeper of the field, he took his best grains, the first fruits of the grains, and he gave it, and he gave it to God as a sacrifice, as a worship, and said, God, I love you. I'm giving this to you. The second one gave a sheep of his flock, and he gave it to God. And God accepted the sacrifice of the animal, and he did not accept the sacrifice of the grain. When the when the one whose sacrifice was not accepted, he went to God and said, what? what? What happened? And God pretty much gave him the idea, that's not what I asked to. If you fix this, it could be all right. Well, instead of fixing it, old Cain went out and killed his brother. You know why he killed him? Because God did not accept his worship. Why didn't God accept Cain's worship? Because it's not what God asked for. You understand Cain want to do his best. Cain did his best. He did it for the purpose of worshiping God. But God would not accept his worship. Why? Because those that worship God must worship God in spirit and in truth. All God's work must be done God's ways. What we have today in the Christian world is something called pragmatism. That says the ends justify the means. That as long as we have the results, it doesn't matter how we got there. So if a church sometimes says, hey, everyone who comes will give $20. Well, people will come for the $20 and fill up the church. Sometimes they'll have weightlifters for the Lord or jugglers for Jesus or clowns for Christ. And they'll have all this entertainment to draw in the masses but God does not accept their worship because those that worship God must worship God in spirit and truth. Let me tell you that God is not someone who plays hide and seek. He's not someone who leaves us guessing. 
He is giving us the precious word of God. And in the word of God, he tells us exactly what he wants and how he wants it done. He doesn't want us to guess. You know that the Bible explains how to have a, have a church service. And God's work must be done God's way. God tells us how to reach the world. God's work must be done God's way. He tells us uh, all kinds of things. Everything we do in the name of God should be found in the word of God. How to run a retirement home service. How to run a Sunday school class. What we're supposed to teach. How we're supposed to teach it. All of that is explained in God's word. God's work must be done God's way. And if God's work is done any other way, God does not accept the worship. That's exactly what happened here. David wanted to honor God. Could we agree with that, that he wanted to honor God? Did David do the best he thought he could? Absolutely. 3,000 people were gathered up. Musical instruments, a brand new cart. Let's bring the two guys that's been taking the Ark of the Covenant. That sounds logical, doesn't it? The problem was it wasn't done the way that God wanted to be done. We start off by showing the idea here, man's work done man's way, and we can see everything got messed up. Now we see God's work done man's way, and we can see there was consequences. God did not accept the worship, and now the Ark of the Covenant stuck on the side of the road. No one wants to touch it. Would you touch it afterwards? It stuck out in the middle of nowhere. And with that, David's mad because someone guy died. Someone guy died because God was not worshipped the way that God told him to do. And again, God had to make this public. There's 3,000 people out here watching this. God could not allow this to go on because it wasn't the way that God said. If God allowed it, then other people would continue to worship God in ways outside of what he said to do. Does that make sense? It had to be punished. That's why God shook the cart. This is something God could not allow to go on because we have to worship God in the way that he said to do it. Which brings us to the third thing, worshiping God God's way. Worshiping God God's way. Do you know that God explained in the Bible how to transport the Ark of the Covenant? And it was very clear instructions. How do we transport the Ark of the Covenant? What in the world do we do? How do we do this? Well, what was concerning God's way concerning the Ark of the Covenant? Well, in Numbers chapter 4, it tells us that a specific tribe of Levi called the Kohathites, they were responsible for carrying the Ark of the Covenant. So were those two people from the house of Abinadab, were they part of the right people? No, they were not. God said only the people of the Kohathites, they are allowed to carry the Ark of the Covenant. In addition... God specifically said in Numbers chapter 4 how they were supposed to transport it, meaning there was a certain way of packing it. There was a certain way of covering it. There was a certain way of doing it. God laid detailed instructions in Numbers chapter 4 of how to do it. 
that they were supposed to carry it. They were supposed to put the staves, little staves through, and they were supposed to carry it. They were supposed to wrap up some things around it. In addition, Numbers chapter 7 tells us that the Kohathites were supposed to carry the Ark of the Covenant by hand, and he purposely forbade them from using a cart. You cannot have a wagon. You cannot have a cart. Well, did David break that? He did. You see, David had done things his own way. This needs to be done. I know. Let's just get it done. But he did not take the Bible and find out what did the Bible say of how to do it. He did not do God's work God's way. But God specifically said, this is how I want it to be done. Now, it would have been different if God didn't give instructions. But God gave very detailed instructions to carry it, how they were supposed to carry it, and don't use a cart. It was a big deal in Numbers chapter 7 that this tribe can have a cart of Levi, this uh, this. Uh, division of Levi, this family of Levi, they could use carts to carry this. And this uh, division of uh, Levi, they can carry carts to this. But the Kohathites, you can not have a cart. You must hand carry it. And this is how you hand carry it. That's pretty detailed instructions. God gave them clearly, this is how I want it to be done. And when David ignored that, he ignored the clear commands of God. With that in mind... We know that ignorance is of God's way of doing things is not a pass. Do you know there's many people who are doing things and they don't know what the Bible says, but they think that God should accept their worship because they're doing their best. You understand it doesn't work that way. We have to know what the Bible says. Ignorance is not an excuse. It is not a pass. God has given us his word that if we wanted to know, we could know. How do we run a church? You can know. How do we run a worship service? We can know. What songs are acceptable to God? We can know. Do you know that the Bible mentions music 756 times? That is more than heaven and more than angels. That is enough that you should be able to know. Any Christian who's been saved for a while should be able to know, especially every preacher, should know from the Bible what good music is, what acceptable music is, what is not acceptable music, where did music come from. Those are things that you need to know if you're going to do anything with the idea of music and worship. Do you know that most Christians have no clue and you could tell by their music? There are certain ways to worship God. Some people say, why don't you have this in the church? Well, because God gave us specific principles in the Bible that we have to obey. We must do God's work God's way. We cannot do it the way that we think it needs to be done or the way that we feel it needs to be done. It cannot be done in any other manner. So what happens? Notice with me in verse number 9. 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse number 9. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. By the way, we know that the Bible says a couple different times that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If we're going to do things God's way, it starts with a fear of God. God, I want to do things your way. I want to be pleasing to you. That's where it starts. God had to put some fear into David and said, listen here, David, we don't do things the way you want it to be done. We do it the way that I already said needs to be done. And so David was very afraid. And he realized that even though he was the king, 
he still had to do things God's way. That him being the king wasn't a pass. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but he kept it aside at some other person's house. And so that he said, All right, fine, I'm not moving until God tells me what to do. That's the correct answer. And so they left it there for three months and David heard that God was blessing it. And so this time, David said, you know, I should probably find out how to do it right. And he did. The text doesn't specifically say it here, but it gives the indication that this time he did it the way that God asked him to do it. That he got the right people to do it. He carried it in the right manner. They didn't carry it with a... With a, with a um, cart but they carried it by hand and this time David is worshiping God and they go about six paces now again can you imagine the people carrying the ark and then they go six paces and then David stops and then they go carry six paces and then David stops and puts and notice what he does when he stops and and um, verse number 13 and it was so when they bear the ark uh, those that bear the ark of the Lord, notice this, those that bear it, they're no longer using a, uh, a, a, a cart anymore. They are actually carrying it. They're bearing it just like God said in Numbers 4. And it was so when they bear the ark of the Lord and gone six paces, he, that's David, sacrificed oxen and fatlings. So every six steps, every six paces, he stops and he sacrifices an animal. So an animal is alive, they cut their throat, they do the cleaning, they burn it to the Lord. Then they go another six paces. It was a long trip back, can you imagine? But he's trying to do everything it is. God, we want you to be pleased. We want you to be happy. We're doing it your way and I'm making a big deal. I am going out of my way to say I am doing it the way that you told me to do it. I'm not taking any chances this time. David's going out of his way to the extreme to do things right. By the way, there's nothing wrong with that. Going out of our way to make sure that we're doing things right. It's better to err on the side of caution than mess up. Notice as it goes on. Verse 14, and David danced before the Lord. Don't let that throw you off. This idea of dancing is that he's using his entire body to lead people in this music. Come on, sing it, guys. Sing. Come on. That's the idea of dancing here. He's, he's moving around. Come on. And, you know, if someone's crazy and moving their arms around, people look at them as fools. And we're going to see that a little bit later, both today and, and uh, next week. But he's moving his arms. Come on. Let's sing to God. Lift it up. Sing it out. Come on. And people are like, this crazy guy. But what he's trying to do is he wants people to sing. He wants people to praise God. Notice as it goes on. <laughs> And uh, verse 15, and David and all the house of Israel brought the ark of God, the Lord, notice this, with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Come on, guys, let's sing. We'll cover uh, verse 16 uh, next week, but verse 17, and they brought the ark of, in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And as soon as David had made an end of the offering, burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Finally, it makes it to where its resting place is. And this time David had done God's work, God's way. Now, this is a long, detailed explanation about what's going on. Many times people say, why in the world did God kill Uzzah? What happened here? 
Well, it's because David had tried to do God's work his own way. And they that worship God must worship God in spirit and in truth. With this principle here, everything we do in the church and ministry, everything we do as an extension must be justified through the Bible. Why do we do things this way? Why do we have our services like this? Why do we sing our songs this way? Why do we do this? We should be able to open up the Bible and say, this is why we do it. This is why we do things the way that we do. Because we always want to do things God's way. This is why we don't allow certain things in our church. Because we want to do things the way that God clearly told us to do. God didn't want us to hope or guess or think. He wants us to know. Well, someone say, well, I don't know. Well, the good thing is, is you're under a good church where we're going to try to teach you. God wants you to know. and He wants you to know why he's doing it, what he wants you to do. And that way we could obey his clear commands in a way that is pleasing to him. Aren't you glad that we don't have a God that we have to guess? I hope I'm making God happy. I hope I'm making him right. I hope he accepts our worship. Because of God's word, we can know I've done things the way that God told me to do it. And we can expect him to bring the results. We can expect him to bless it. We can expect him to do whatever he wants with what is his. We're just supposed to be obedient to his clear commands and the principles that he has set forth. That we always have to do God's work God's way. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.